Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and this is episode 68 of the Uncapped Podcast, where we're going to take a dive into the current battle to save Maryland's craft beer industry from a bill that, and I, I mean, correct me, Liz, who, so we'll just say now our, my guest today is Liz Murphy, um, with just, we'll say a laundry list of things we could say she does, but everyone knows Liz. <laughs> Hi guys. Um, and maybe you can correct me if this is hyperbole, but, um, house bill, um, 1052 could, literally destroy part of the Maryland craft beer industry. Yeah, I, I I wish that I could say it is hyperbole. And I remember when I was writing my column that ran earlier this week for the Capital Gazette about this, I I struggled with trying to restrain my language as well, but you're you're absolutely right. Um I I feel like every session now is just a new opportunity for the Maryland House of Delegates to shock us with their what seems like willful obtuseness about how the craft beer industry works and that these are small businesses and you can't jerk them around. How are they supposed to function? Yeah. And then what, one of the things that's been kind of frustrating and confusing this time around is that you would think that over the past year, they would have been become much more educated in the needs of the industry and how they, what would help them move forward with all of the feedback they've received and um, the the plenty of examples of what would help move the industry forward. Yeah. And but there just seems to be this complete misunderstanding or worse. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, th- so that's kind of the challenge here. So just for a little bit of background. So 1052 is a House bill that was introduced by Delegate Derek Davis and Delegate Talmadge Branch, um, who, and Davis is the chair of the Economic Matters Committee, and the Alcohol Subcommittee sits underneath that. And Delegate Talmadge Branch was the original sponsor of last year's House Bill 1283, which originally just started as a repeal bill just to bring back operating hours. Which we thought was bad last year. Well, the funny part was is that everybody ignored it. We're like, oh, and then there's this other bill, but this is just so completely ridiculous. Yeah, Um, I remember the first time I had um, that we did any uncapped did any coverage of it it was with ben savage i remember that and we just completely glossed over like yeah there's this thing over here and that this has thing one, with one sponsor yeah. like nobody's paying attention to it so what's fascinating about this bill is that it, davis in a recent uh, interview with the baltimore business journal actually said that this bill which again just takes a nice big fat metaphorical baseball bat and is just winding up to kneecap the industry again was in response to the outcry, which I don't, I don't know how to really wrap my mind around that kind of statement because he, in December, put out this big editorial about like, look at all the great things we did and we're actually champions of the industry and we increased tap room limits and sample sizes and made contract brewing legal. And then just a few short months later, this ridiculous bill lands on somebody's desk and it's rolling back everything. And when somebody asks him about it, he says, well, everyone was just 
was just so upset about it. And it's like, are we children? Because that's what it feels like. That's like, well, you you said you said this is what you wanted, and it it's that kind of. I, again, I don't know if you said this earlier, which I really liked, which is I don't know if it's if it's petty, or if he's just being willfully obtuse. Because again, these are business owners. You're ta- one of the provisions in the bill says, okay, so right now you can serve up to. 2,000 barrels per year on-premise taproom sales, right? They want to roll that back to 500, which was the status quo prior to last year. That is insane. And what was, I think, for, they were asking for like 5,000 last year, right? They were originally asking for 5,000. At one point, they were like, hey, four would be cool. You could actually technically go up to 3,000 if you want to buy your own beer back. Technically. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Technically, um, yeah, because in and but so his action, his reaction to make people happy in the industry is to just subtract even more beer from what. Well, yeah, and I think what really frustrates me about it is that no people look even the Brewers Association of Maryland when they put out their initial statement in response to 1283 said you know we did get some gains, but the yeah. issue was with the process. The issue was the fact that we had to go through all of this emotional hand-wringing that the, it doesn't matter whether or not there were backroom deals. The reality is, is that is the perception. I think So I think part of the problem, which allows Brant, was it Branch or Davis that made that statement? I can't remember now. Davis. Davis the, was the one who made the statement. The problem, I think, that allows Davis to make that ridiculous argument is that what people had the great outrage about was when it was just a house bill, not mm-hmm. the end result. Because yeah. when it was a house bill, it did a lot of the same damage that 1052 is going to do. Oh, yeah. It got cleaned up by the Senate some, and then when it was passed, it did make it did move everything a step forward. Mm-hmm. Then the extreme negative reaction focused on what the house tried to do yeah the process so, the yeah. whole thing so and i i think that there is some onus on all of us they that, mm-hmm. that maybe weren't clear enough that that's what everyone was mad about no because <laughs> but, no here's the thing i'm i'm gonna have to disagree on that and the reason is this is that if we were to look at any other industry i i remember carly ogden from attaboy at one of the reform on tap task force meetings put it very well when she said these types of limits essentially are you telling us how successful we are allowed to be and not only that you know when you take that a step further this is how those breweries make their business plans i mean by carly's own admission though she's just a crazy internet poster <laughs> Well, she and, is. And actually, Hopefully she's not listening. You're not disagreeing with that. I was just trying to play devil's advocate in, okay. in some way that he could get this twisted idea in his head I know. that what was needed was to remove everything that was done. Yeah, I guess it, what frustrates me about it, though, is that you have somebody like like a Union Craft Brewing. And I talked with John, who's one of the co-founders of Union, and he said, you know, they they took a risk reinvesting in Maryland and doing this big expansion with Union Collective. And now businesses are making business choices based on what the regulatory landscape is. And if it's constantly up and down, up and down, nobody will be able to make any plans. And it certainly won't invite anybody here. That's a, if, I mean, as we sit now, mm-hmm. ignoring future legislation, yeah. it, it's not a horrible environment. No. It's still handicapped compared to our neighbors, mm-hmm. north and south. However, it 
for the most um, breweries could operate in that environment. Mm -hmm. But what could happen would make it ridiculous for anyone to open a brewery in Maryland. Well, I think the other thing, too, though, is that the perception of Maryland in terms of how it interacts with its breweries has fundamentally changed, I would say, in the past 12 to 18 months. Um, I spoke with Secretary Todd Haymore. I believe he was Secretary of Agriculture and then became Secretary of Commerce for Virginia. And he said on the record, you know, they they never really considered Maryland, you know, anti-brewery until last year. And now other states around us have talking points to say, well, things are fine right now, but just take a look at 1052. You know, the House yeah. of Delegates could wake up one day and decide, you know what? No. We don't want this 600 and yeah. some million dollars worth of economic impact to the state. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I think that's the kind of stuff we have to keep in mind. You're, you're absolutely right when you say right now, if you were to just kind of put blinders on and maybe some soundproof headphones and tune out all the noise, the, the laws that we have aren't great, but they're not terrible. But once you take any of those things off and you start listening and it kind of gaining that situational awareness, Maryland is distinctly unfriendly. Yes. That is the posture we've adopted. So the, um, when you're talking to Union John at Union, um, was it the fickle nature of our legislature's attitude towards ripping the rug out from under his business? Or were there certain parts of 1052 that he was pointing out specifically were what would be a detriment to union? So our conversation about it was fairly short, so I don't want to okay. speculate on the details. But I mean, again, I think it just kind of goes back to the broader discussion of, you know, when people make the choice to reinvest anywhere, you know, they have a single business, they're choosing to make it larger, move to a different place. You are making the choice to tie significant amounts of money, capital, loans, to that place and to that business. And that's going to have to be predicated on the notion that you trust the regulatory climate to stay at least somewhat stable. And so if you have things where production limits, sales limits, all of these different pieces moving around, that's going to create a lot of instability that I think is very, it, it's a turnoff for business owners. Um, one of the arguments uh, from last year, I remember, is that, you know, what's the point of increasing taproom sales? Nobody's getting close to it. And Alec Ross, who's a Democratic gubernatorial candidate, had a really great response to that. You know, you're never going to build out the infrastructure to even get close to it yeah. if that's the limit. If the limit is there, you're not going to try. You, that's irresponsible business practices. When in, in, and there's already breweries that limit their taproom hours or the days that they're open mm -hmm. so that they don't have to worry about in August or September having to shut down their taproom because they've reached their limit. Yeah. I mean, that was back when it was 500, which mm -hmm. 1052 wants to reinstate. Um, I don't think anyone's close to 2000, but, <clears throat> well, but yeah, I can't imagine anyone is. No. Um, but still, that, that's the perfect example. Why would you work to get to that point mm -hmm. if you're just going to hit the ceiling and not be able to sell anymore? It's irresponsible. The um, So I think, I mean, besides rolling back the barrel limit, that, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Probably the eliminating the ability to contract brew. Mm -hmm. is probably one of the most onerous parts of this bill. Would you agree? Yeah, which is such a surprise considering that I remember Jeff Kelly, who is, I believe, the 
field enforcement director for the comptroller's office said that was actually one of the really good things that came out of 1283 because prior to that our language from a regulatory perspective around contract brewing yeah it allowed it, it in seven but it didn't allow it in yeah. five the class of the depending brewery. on who you asked it was legal or not legal and it could also depend on the time of day and you know that's uh, that that's not only a detriment to breweries like Peabody Heights or larger breweries who are trying to meet the demand with their inability to supply a certain brand. But contract brewing has had a lot of small brewers get their start. Like Brooklyn Brewery was a contract yeah. brewer. Sam Adams. Contract brewer. <laughs> you know, that that's the kind of thing where until until Brooklyn Brewery was able to buy, I think it was a, a matzah factory and then make that their brewery, they were contracting through someone else to get their beer into people's hands, to get the capital to open their own place. So it, I think what frustrates me is particularly about that provision and what makes it so, I don't know if it's intentionally malicious because I think it requires a little bit more of a nuanced understanding of the industry, but that not only impacts brewers that are in business today. Peabody Heights is known as an incubator of Baltimore beer because it has given people the stepping stool they needed to become. Yeah, to build the capital yeah. to make the investments yeah. into your own brewery. Yeah, exactly. So then, and I think you, you talked to um, Tim Scouton mm-hmm. about that, right? And yes. I, and I think one of his quotes, it would put them, them in jeopardy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that would, again, have a significant impact on your business. Because last year's conversation was really surrounding, you know, you're telling us how successful we can be. And this year's conversation really needs to be centered around the fact that you are now messing with our ability. And messing isn't the right word. It's not strong enough. But you're compromising our ability to function as a stable business. And that's the kind of stuff where in this kind of economy that can't happen. Yeah, and then there there are multiple Maryland breweries that are still operating in mm-hmm. that where they haven't made the investment in their own mm-hmm. locations yet that they are contract brewing. And I would assume that 1052 would just put them out of business. Mm-hmm. They, can, they, they would cease to exist as soon as that bill was enacted. Yeah, and even that part of the legislation is re- written in a very strange way. Like there, It's not necessarily that there are ways around it, but I've, I've, I've been looking at that particular piece of the bill with a, a friend of mine, Greg Parnas from DCBeer.com, who has m- a much more um, comprehensive understanding of the legalities of how this kind of stuff works. And it, it's, again, written very similarly to last year, where it's like, wait, what does this mean? We think it means this. We're not 100% sure. There are a lot of weird little qualifiers and legislative nooks and crannies that make that a very dangerous piece of legislation. Now, I, I can never remember, did 1283 do anything with the hours of operation, or was that removed by the time that it no. It passed. This is this was one of the things that I remember a lot of breweries who ended up benefiting from the result were still really unhappy about. So prior to 1283, the law of the land was that operating hours of a tap room were regulated by the county, which is how a lot of things are done in Maryland. You know, the laws in Frederick are very different from the laws in Anne Arundel. Uh, which are very different from Montgomery County and Howard and all those different things. Um, What 1283 attempted to do was originally roll back the hours unilaterally across the board and standardize them. The end resulting 1283, it standardized those hours across the state 
not legislated by the county for breweries that were not operational or hadn't had their paperwork in by a certain date. But all of the ones that were already open or had their paperwork in by a certain date are grandfathered into the old rules. So one of the things that makes the beer community great, not just in Maryland, but across the country, is the fact that we genuinely want to see others succeed. You know, breweries help each other yeah. out. Um, they don't, you know, it's competition, but it's friendly competition. And there really is this feeling of being all in it together. But if you're a new business owner coming into a new area and you know that there's a tap room within a mile of you that doesn't have to play by the same rules as you. You close at 10 o'clock, but maybe they get to stay open until midnight. That can be problematic. So I know a lot of breweries who ended up not and confusing having. confusing to the consumer, too. Yeah, it's very weird. And, you know, that's why I think a lot of breweries, you know, the flying dogs, you know, they didn't, you know, it's like, well, thanks, but we don't want to create this kind of climate within our own community. It's not fair. Right, so that did pass. That did it, pass. Okay. And what does 1052 do for that? Or does it ignore it and just leave that there? That's uh, not one of the really provisions that we're talking about in 1052, if I recall correctly. So, so it's not. So the only thing that people did have a legitimate gripe about. Mm-hmm. Um, not really addressed. They, he did. Davis didn't want to remove that piece. If I recall correctly, (laughs) and, you know, internet, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, It's it's Friday. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that really wasn't a major talking point of this bill. Um, What I will say is funny about it, though, is that if anything, you know, one of the biggest gripes of 1052 that came out was, okay, so – it wants to roll everything back and reset the clock, except for Guinness. We're just going to kind of, yeah. they're fine. They'll still get to play by the 2,000 barrel rules. <laughs> and Guinness, within 24 hours, said, okay, okay, so we we appreciate yeah. that. Thank you, but. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> this flies in the face. Of sen- like They put out a statement, and the, the thesis essentially was, this is a bad idea. This goes against everything that we're trying to accomplish in Maryland for beer tourism and all of that stuff. Um, so if the one party that you're trying to say, hey, we got your back, is saying, no, 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 it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you might have taken a wrong turn somewhere. So, in the, they're in one of their districts, right? Yeah, so like, they're in Baltimore County. Okay, that's what. Yeah. Conveniently enough for their <laughs> Yeah, that that was I I love that statement that they came out with. It's, oh my god. I I don't even know. We appreciate the love, but that's maybe <laughs> Not that way. Like, that's not where we appreciate what you're trying to do, but you're like at a 14, come down to a seven, maybe a five, you know, just tone it down. So on one end of the spectrum, we have HB 1052. Mm -hmm. And then all the way over at the other end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. we have House Bill 518. Yes. Which I think when... Uh, the comptroller was on that hadn't been introduced yet. No, they were so in the process were... of it. So they had, so that's the Reform on Tap Act. Yeah. Which was informed by the findings of the Reform on Tap Task Force, which took place over the spring and summer and I believe early fall of last year. Um, it's a world without limits. Which you were uh, a <laughs> yes, member of. I was a member of. So that that bill basically removes every limit um 
and yes, it not does. every limit. I mean, it it frees the hands of brewers to operate in a safe mm-hmm. but less restrictive environment. Yeah, I mean, it's still regulated, and I yes. think one of the things that this piece of legislation does really well is that I think. Francho, with his bill, has created an opportunity for us to have really important discussions about how much brewers are allowed to sell, how much they're allowed to produce, and not only that, what do their relationships with their distributors look like? So I know a lot of people are pushing back because, you know, there it, it is, you know, this is, hey, I'm going to take the tablecloth out from underneath and I promise all the plates are going to stay there. But I think it is something that it is a conversation that needs to happen. Um, we need to be talking about why are we in such an overregulated industry? And I know usually it's, you know, well, it's because it's alcohol. Right. But I, I feel that sometimes in Maryland, the conversation is, you know, we are, you know, one tap room away from becoming, you know, just everything devolving <laughs> into anarchy. And other states, which have regulations that mirror very similarly what, what we see in uh, House Bill 518, are fine. Yeah. People are getting up and going to work every day. You know, nobody's going out of business. Turns out... I'll- the majority of adults can make adult decisions and I am not one of those adults, but those who can do it, (laughs) I applaud them. And then I feel like in, in some aspects lost in all of this noise, um, there are the, the six bills that the Brewers Association is mainly Mm -hmm. backing that do a lot of the same things that, um, reform on tap, Act uh, 518 mm-hmm. do, but they're broken up into six different um, mm-hmm. categories and maybe have slightly different tweaks to what they're accomplishing. Yes. And those are House Bill 11480, 1148, House Bill 1369, House Bill 122, House Bill 1015, and House Bill 1176, and then corresponding Senate bills for each one. Yes. So there's a lot that people need to memorize. Well, I mean. (laughs) There will be a test next week. (laughs) I I have I've been asked about that previously. You know, how do I how do I feel about those bills? And again, I think this is a great opportunity for discussion, because what that says to me is that if we're able to get sponsorship on both sides of the General Assembly, that means more legislators are becoming informed that means that is a signal to me that brewers are doing something that historically they haven't done a ton of in the past. But then again, they haven't really had to, which is getting in front of the legislators, talking with people, explaining you know what their business model looks like, how they're contributors to the community, and how breweries not only support their own businesses directly, they also support a whole agricultural subsect or subsection of our economy that we never even talk about. Um, so I know there's a lot going on this session, but, you know, that signals to me that we're starting to have much more informed discussions on the Hill, which is not something that was happening last year. I mean, if I recall correctly, one of the sponsors of one of the bills, and I apologize for not knowing the bill off the top of my head, but I think his name is Eric Ludke. He had said that House Bill 1283, which passed with unanimous support in the House, he said he never would have voted for it had he known what it actually did. 
because A, some House members said they felt that they were misled by the contents of the bill, and B, some of them just simply did not understand. They're in session for 90 days. They deal with thousands of bills, and they have to be experts on everything. Over a a wide range of topics. Exactly. So it's, I think, again, there's a lot going on this session, but that is that signal of we're having conversations that matter. We're getting these issues put front and center so we don't have something like that happen again. I had, and I, the day that 1052 first came out, mm-hmm. um, there were a ton of people posting on Facebook in the Maryland Beer Drinkers mm-hmm. group. And a couple people had called um, Branch. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone was successful getting a hold of Davis. Mm-mm. And one person, uh, and obviously I'm a third party, so I don't know if it was an accurate conversation, but said when he talked to Branch, he said 500 sounded like a lot of beer to him. 500 barrels sounded like a lot. That's a common so, thing I hear a so, lot. And I, would, and I would agree wholeheartedly, last year – that misconception could take place. I mean, but I, I feel think... like there's been enough uproar and people talking that that they would have you would think that they would have a better understanding. I think so, but I mean, you have this was a conversation I was having with somebody else last week is that, you know, we understand that because we're very much in the craft beer community. We understand how it works. We understand how when you're operating at that scale, that's why that number increases exponentially in terms of how you grow a business. But think about all of the people you need to get on board with your cause. They are not people who are, you know, obsessively standing in line for Rick and yeah. Morty themed beers at Kushwa Brewing. Um, Which without contract brewing, we would not have that beer. Yeah. At least in a can. Oh, it's such a great can. Um, but I think the thing that people need to realize is that we have not done a good job explaining these issues in a way that isn't specific to beer because these are small businesses, but they're also manufacturers. And we're not having manufacturing conversations. We're not providing any sort of clarity or context to people in a way that's digestible. I mean, I remember even myself last year, and I'm in the community struggling to try to like give me somebody asked me once to give them the elevator pitch of what was happening and I the word salad that spilled out of my mouth (laughs) just because I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it these are hard issues to talk about succinctly with people in a way where their brain doesn't shut off if they don't understand it yeah that may um one one way that I thought the um reform on tap task force way of marketing their bill worked well was they got quotes from mm-hmm. the areas of the industry that the argument has been that it would kill them. Yeah. Dock to restaurant owners. I think there were some even from distributors that mm-hmm. provided quotes. Um, and even our, our favorite Frederick restaurant, Roast House Pub, provided their support for House Bill 518. Chris, the which... Segway Swan flies again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that could have been beautiful, and then you had to ruin it by of pointing out do. that. <laughs> Which, I, and this will be a shorter one, but we do. I want to thank um, Roast House not for only supporting the our podcast, but also supporting craft beer in general. And mm-hmm. if he's located in the East Coast craft beer capital, which is Frederick, 
Um, and that was said during a press conference I by know. the controller, so it's true now. And, <laughs> and so if if there was any any restaurant or retailer like a place where you would have a hard time is Frederick would definitely be one of the places. Oh, for sure. However, he flourishes in this environment and recognizes that brewery selling more beer doesn't hurt him. Mm-hmm. So like I, 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 I want to. Th- I, I'm glad that he was willing to get that Mary and Nico were willing to give their quote to the Reform on Tap task force sure. and continue to support the industry. Yeah, Joe Petro, who owns um, instead of sharing yeah. uh, half baked uh, um, editorials about public safety and the stuff that some I distributors my- do. I can't even start getting into that. Uh, <laughs> no, Joe Petro is another um, great retailer. So he owns Hair of the Dog out in Easton and Talbot County. And Talbot County is a special county where we talked about it earlier, you know, county by county, the rules are always different. Talbot County, you can sell beer in grocery stores, gas stations, anywhere. So they're competing hand over fist everywhere. And he and I had a conversation earlier this week that I'll be publishing soon where it really, the crux of his of his opinion was you know he sees the benefit of craft brewers he sees us you know if they're successful i'm successful and he's saying that you know he is a beer supporter he loves local craft breweries but he's also he owns his own business so it's not a philanthropic gesture for him to say that he sees the benefit to his business as a retailer to to help support this sector and grow it and then I think that's also an argument that's often lost that these aren't just – they're not just breweries. They're small businesses mm-hmm. that are being attacked. Mm-hmm. And they're not – and they're small businesses that can't easily move away from no. the areas. They have very large capital investments that aren't easy to move physically. Oh, yeah. So, so they're they're stuck in this environment that – has for some reason become hostile towards them. Well, they're not only stuck in that environment. I mean, what's the running joke? You go into brewing to be famous and rich. Yeah. I mean, like they not only have their own money on the line, they have loans, they have their houses. Some have their mortgages and their houses yeah. up as collateral for these business loans that they've taken out in order to start this business. And I think that's why, you know, I understand, I absolutely understand and agree with the fact that, you know, when people try to say, well, just change out alcohol for milk and tell me how ridiculous these arguments are. Alcohol is a different beast entirely because it's alcohol. And I I completely agree with that. However, it is exactly what you just said. You know, this is really about the fact that these are business owners and you are just jerking them around. And this is these are people's livelihoods. These are jobs. You, you could ruin somebody's life this way. You could destroy somebody's business because how many jobs, how many how many jobs do they support? And it's like six thousand five hundred forty one. Yeah, a lot. And that's what you're putting at risk and continuously growing. Yeah. Um, the. We, Graham and I were at uh, Monument City getting Novo during the last release. Oh, and, um, so good. And Greg from Waverly was there too. And, and they, they said along the same, the same quote where um, that, that people assume that 
like they make a lot of money and that like that mm-hmm. he's like when you open a brewery you don't make a lot of money you just you make a lot of beer yeah <laughs> and so you're not getting we're, we're not getting rich we're making a whole lot of beer and then paraphrasing but the the basis was like they're they're not they're not huge companies that are just raking in money mm-hmm. they're small businesses that have to really work hard at making a living and any anything that go that not even just gets in a way but in just is aggressively against their ability to make a living should not exist yeah so right now what what is what should we tell everyone to do what is the best thing that people can do to help so i know that there is there are the cry to contact your legislators is is the right one, but we need to be very specific right now. 1052 is a dangerous bill. And Davis, I believe, somewhere on the record said 1052 has a way better chance of passing than 518. And that is a message I believe the public needs to just aggressively refute. Don't contact your senators right now. You need to contact the House. Yeah. Most of you will get back some sort of response if they're not on the Economic Matters Committee, that they're not on the committee and they can't do anything until the House votes. But that's okay. That is the right response because they can't get involved. It may never come out of committee. So the important thing right now is to just call, email, send carrier pigeons, contact your delegates, tell them you support uh, the Reform on Tap Act, 518, and under no circumstances should a harmful, terrible bill like 1052 be allowed to pass. That's it. End of story. And I, I like the um, the way that BAM puts it mm-hmm. with polite persistence. Exactly. Which is very important. Yes. Be polite. Be professional. Do not call screaming yeah. at your... Representing, even if there's someone who has gone on record as supporting 1052, you're not going to get anywhere by being disrespectful and yeah. yelling and using vulgarity or anything other than polite persistence. I would completely agree with that because you know, I, here's what I here's what I will also say: the way to be an effective advocate for the craft brewers that you love and want to support is to speak articulately and be informed. Don't just tell them you. Don't support 1052. Tell them why. Tell them that you want to see these small businesses flourish and succeed, and a bill like this does the exact opposite. So I agree. Don't swear. Don't scream at them. For some of them, they've probably heard about this bill before, but you you may be yelling at somebody who has no idea what this bill is because it's not in their typical wheelhouse. So I think that's absolutely right. I think um, the Brewers Association of Maryland also said something really helpful, which is to remember that in a lot of ways this is – it's a distraction from the real story. And the neg- the negativity that has surrounded and engulfed the craft beer community has really taken away from a lot of the great stories and the valuable contributions that Maryland craft brewers are making to our economy. There's a lot of room for growth, however, because for those 6,000 plus jobs, you know, we're, we rank fairly low in low, fairly low in the less, rest of the country in terms of what we could be doing from an economic contribution. Yeah, I think it was standpoint. in the third, 37th. Yeah, I think somewhere it's 37th. Um, so yeah, you know, be respectful, be persistent, be aggressive in your support of 518 and the other bills that are out there. 
but 1052 has to go down. That that cannot be allowed to stand. And going back to your point that if your representative isn't on the that committee, it, it's possible when 1052 comes out of committee, it could be completely different at mm-hmm. this point. Is that correct? Um, I, you know what, I, that would be speculation on my part. (laughs) Um, I, it may come out of committee differently. There may be some amendments tacked onto it, but it, it it could go either way. But so that, but that's one of the reasons why your representative would give the response that they're not on the committee because Mm -hmm. they, they wouldn't be commenting on something that definitely is going to be that way when it when it reaches their ability to vote well yeah not only that though they also have zero sway at this point but it's good to be speaking to them now so when it comes out whatever beastly form it's in i mean remember 1283 was like terrible but nobody's going to do anything about it and then it somehow came out and was worse yeah um so i i think that's really just the focus there is to talk to your legislators now the reason why things went horribly long wrong last year was because they weren't informed your job as an engaged citizen is not to scream at them it's to make sure your legislators understand your interests and why they're so important to you and it is completely reasonable for them to not be informed on this particular issue correct because there are a lot of things that they have to know and vote on and they rely on feedback from their constituents as as well as lobbyists Mm -hmm. which like as much as people talk about how horrible lobbyists are they do serve that as that conduit for the knowledge to legislators on what they learn oh, yeah. about the issue so reaching out and explaining politely and undoing any damage that the special interest groups lobbyists have mm-hmm. explained is a great benefit mm-hmm so then the first hearing for every bill every bill is uh February 23rd next Friday starting around one o'clock <laughs> and um, you will be there yes I will be there I will be testifying I will not be there unfortunately um, but you'll you'll be in my thoughts Thank- oh while you're at your beer festival in Pittsburgh yeah oh, okay yeah. thanks I, I probably won't be thinking about much other than <laughs> what the, the next beer I'm gonna have yeah. is. But I, I do I actually I do wish I could be there to lend support. But I'll send you text messages from the ten tr- trenches. We can live stream it. Oh no! Do they, they probably don't allow, do they allow that, Graham? You would know. I feel like that's something they wouldn't allow. I'm feel I'm just not a big fan of live streaming anyway. So that's you're just, on a live stream right now. No, not no. a fan of it. Not a fan. <laughs> Face for radio. This is very difficult for me. <laughs> Um, do you feel it? Is there anything else you think we should cover? I mean, I think that's it. You know, there is one other bill that I don't want to spend oh, a ton yeah. of time you on. You didn't bring up the one of the most oh, ridiculous what is it? I think ones. it's House Bill 1316. So right after 1052 came out, uh, a bill came out to put forward a task force because it's it's the Oprah show. Every, you get a task force and you get a task force uh, to see whether the alcohol regulator should be regulating alcohol. Or whether or not it should be given off to another department. Uh, so the comptroller uh, is the alcohol regulator. <laughs> um, 
So I, you know, we could sit here and probably dive into this, but let's be realistic here. The comptroller in pretty much every other state, Bart Watson, who's from the Brewers Association, and and Bart, I apologize if I'm misattributing this to you, but my understanding is that there was some sort of, I think it was for the economic matters, it was like a hearing about this issue and at some point in December, and somebody asked him or somebody from the Brewers Association if they knew of any other state where the comptroller didn't regulate alcohol, and he said not to his knowledge. So this would be a, an extreme departure. I mean, you know, Maryland loves to be a trendsetter, but um, I think the alcohol Not the one that we want to tra- no, be the trendsetter for. No, 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 no. Let the alcohol regulator regulate the alcohol because uh mommy and daddy are fighting and the children are going to be the ones that suffer and in in some ways i wonder if if the scorched earth approach that was taken may have hurt some because like that bill and 1052 and in a lot of ways seem punitive yeah as a it's like all right, you want to make us angry? This is what we're going to do. Yeah, I think that's what's really frustrating about this is that this is, this is again what I wrote about earlier this week. You know, it, these bills are a message. And a lot of people are having fun or at least, you know, kind of getting revved up, you know, oh, is this a message to Francho or is Davis upset at the Brewers or who is it? Maybe it's both of them. But it's distracting, again, from the fact that we have businesses on the line. Yeah, and the, the problem is we're, we're not watching a soap opera. Yeah. Like there's people's livelihoods and their jobs. And- this is an entire industry at stake, you know? And I remember over the summer listening to the reform on task meetings and the distributors rightfully did have great conversations during those meetings about how much they give to the community and how, you know, they could be hurt. And I disagree in a lot of ways with some of their ideas about how to protect their businesses. But if we're willing to put so much weight in their ability to contribute and how important it is to make sure that their businesses are okay, why do brewers not matter as much? Why are their businesses expendable at the expense of why at the expense of them? Why do we protect others? So that's my. Have you had the chance to talk to many? legislators no throughout okay not yet but i will be soon yeah i was just want i was going to ask you if you had a sense of right now what the people where things are headed what what right what now i'm is. focusing on just kind of like not dry heaving while i'm giving my testimony <laughs> and then once i get beyond that I'll, I'll start figuring where i i'm very interested to take the temperature of that room and i think that's where that conversation is going to start they do they do live stream those, don't they, Graham? They do. Okay. They do live stream them, and then the video is available afterward. I also have to watch. Yeah. Probably won't, but I'll have to watch. You can fast forward through mine. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Um, so anything else you would? No, that's it. All okay. right. So thank you, everyone, for uh, listening to us. Um, I urge you, if you agree that the craft beer industry um, – you, you want to support them to politely contact your legislators we cannot emphasize enough the politely respectfully and, and respectfully contact your legislators phone calls go a long way a lot of them are on social media but a more personal touch goes a long way um 
And thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.